Hey guys, I'm Pastor Jason Shirley. I'm the associate pastor right here at Word of Life Church in Carlsbad, New Mexico. And I'm really excited that you have joined us today online. Just a couple of things. I want you to drop us a line if you're watching wherever in the world and let us know where you're watching from. We would love to hear from you. Second, if you want to partner with us today in a financial way, then you can give by texting 84321 and just text your amount, or you can go to our website, wolcarlsbad.com, and you can click the Give tab and give that way. The last thing today is that if you have any needs or anything like that that we can partner with you on, then drop us a line and send us that, and we're going to partner with you in prayer. I believe today is going to be a wonderful day. I want you to open up your heart to receive from the Word of God today and always remember that God is madly in love with you. Let's get to the service. We've been talking in here um, uh, on a message that is extremely important to me and, and to my family. The title of my message, <laughs> they got excited, didn't they? Uh, the title of my message is, is Who Said? What do we do when crisis comes? Now, I'm not going to go, like, deep into the story. Uh, I've done that the last two weeks. I'm just going to kind of skim over it and do an overview. And then we're going to catch you up uh, as to, to maybe what you missed and then go on and, and have some new stuff this morning. But um, on, I guess in January is where we can start. In, in January... Uh, Tiffany began having some issues or began noticing um, some issues, um, some, uh, some stomach issues, some digestive issues. And, and um, so as we were um, considering that and considering what to do about it, um, we ran some intolerance testing and things like that just to kind of see, um, you know, what's going on and, and is this a diet thing and um, that kind of thing. So... Every time that, that we would do a test, there would be a list of things. And so she would stop eating those things, and there would be a little bit of a change. And, and um, it, it seemed as though that was the way that it needed to go. And as we continued on, though, it seemed as though everything that, that we adjusted changed things for a little bit, but they didn't change things long term. And so... Um, she then went to the doctor, and, and uh, the doctor wanted to do um, some testing. And so uh, the doctor did, and I don't remember the date on this, but the doctor did um, an ultrasound because she thought that there were some issues probably with the gallbladder. And after the, the ultrasound was done, the results came back, and the doctor called and said, there was some, some spots that we saw on your liver that were troublesome. And so we'd like to, to do a CT scan. And she said, okay. And she came home. She told me, hey, this is what they found. They're doing a CT scan. It doesn't necessarily mean anything. It's just that this is what showed up. And okay, fine. You know, we'll, we'll do that. And, and um, we're, I, I'm pretty level-headed. We've been through a lot of stuff in life. Um, we, we have a lot of faith in our God. And um, it just it didn't really concern me at all. Um, I remember... I was thinking back, and I remember when she told me that, and I was, I was working in the yard, and we, we kind of remodeled our backyard this summer. And um, so I was working in the backyard, and she told me, and I said, okay, we're, are, are you okay? And she said, yeah, I'm fine. I said, okay. And uh, I went back to working in the yard, and she went back to doing whatever, whatever she was doing, probably 
you know, sitting down watching a movie or something, because I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, so anyway, she, they performed the, the CT scan, and when the CT scan results were in, the doctor called and said, um, we, we want to see you ASAP. And so in between the time that the doctor said, we want to see you, and, and, um, and when we actually went to the doctor, on Father's Day, Sunday morning, Father's Day, Pastor Daniel had a word from God that, that said, I believe that there's someone or multiple people here that, that have been given a report with growths. Now, I don't know if those growths are, are cancerous or not, but I believe this, that as you praise, that those growths are coming out of your body and onto Jesus. And as he said those words, Tiffany was standing right over there worshiping, and, and I was up here, and I had walked to the back because I just started crying because I knew that that word was for us. And after talking later, she started crying sitting in the, her seat or standing there because she knew that that was for us. And, and after talking to, to Pastor Daniel, he said, I knew when I was giving that that it was for y'all. And what we know, and, and he said many, and I think this is a pretty amazing thing too, that, um, that Carol had a, a family member that was going through the same thing, and um, that word was for her as well. And we saw complete healing in her, right? Amen. And so we go to the doctor that next week, and the doctor said, this is not the, the results that we wanted to give you, but, but today I'm just going to read this report. And she, she read through with each part of the body, and, and there were formations, nodules, tumors, in, started in, in the colon. It had spread to the liver, and it had spread to the lungs. And they said, we believe these nodules to be cancerous. Now, if you've ever gone through this before, and, and we've, we haven't personally, but we've gone through with so many people, when, when cancer begins to spread like that, a lot of times they say, at this point, there's nothing we can do. We weren't at that point yet. But obviously, we're thinking it in our mind. And so... They wanted to send us for a, for a PET scan, which is kind of the definitive, um, the definitive test. And then we go from there. And so we scheduled a PET scan in Las Cruces, and we've talked a lot about the drive from Carlsbad to Las Cruces and just how gut-wrenching that drive was. And one thing that continued to, to get to me as we're driving is just all the things that are in front of me that I haven't done yet, that I'm not ready to do yet, but I have this feeling in the pit of my stomach that after this test, they're going to tell us, well, we've got six months left. We've got a year at best. We can slow it down, but, but we, can't, we can't do anything about it. And this is what I'm, to be honest, this is what I'm fearful about. And I know that Tiffany is going through a lot of the same thing and, and we're discussing these things and it's a battle. And so she goes and she has the PET scan and, and we had to wait, I guess, four days 
before we got the results, or five, no, it was longer than that, six days, that we had to wait before we got the results uh, of that PET scan. Well, to make the story short, and then I'm going to go into kind of what we, we went through. When we got the results of the PET scan, it wasn't our doctor that called because our doctor was out, and this is another doctor in the office that was just calling to read the results. And as this doctor was reading the results, she said, um, it shows that... Um, that the testing, and I don't remember the terminology. We've been through this before. I'm definitely not a doctor, and I don't even watch doctor shows on TV. So, um, but this, this doctor, she said, well, the, this shows that, that there's no cancer in the lungs, and there's no cancer in the liver, and there's no cancer in the colon. And, and um, so Tiffany asked, so are the, the tumors that are there, um, they're just... They're not cancerous, or what are you saying? And, and then the doctor said, who said you had tumors? Who said you had tumors? And we've really latched on to that phrase, who said? Who said you had tumors? Well, we had two tests that are different tests that both said there were tumors. One said there were even more than the other one did. We had the report uh, of a doctor, and I'm not saying at all, man, our doctor was incredible, is incredible. I'm not saying that, oh, well, she must have misread. I don't believe that at all. No, I believe that there was a miracle that happened. And what was crazy is that after the doctor read us the report, then she said, I know what the report said, but I'm here to tell you that our God is able. Amen? Praise God. Our God is able. Yes. After we shared our story, our doctor reshared the story and said, Tell me that miracles don't happen. Tell me that miracles aren't for today. Amen? <laughs> Praise God. Praise God. So it would be wonderful for me to stand up here as Pastor Jason. Man of God, right? Man, you have done this your whole life. I've been in full-time ministry for 16 years, my entire adult life, literally my entire adult life. I've been in ministry, and I've been around it my entire life. And it would be wonderful for me to stand up here and say that through this entire process, I never wavered, I never doubted, I knew that my God was going to come through, and I never had a fearful thought. But if I did, I'd be lying to you, and I believe in being real to you. See, I could just omit that part of the story. I could say God was faithful, and I could not tell you anything that I went through. But if I do that, how does that help you where you're at? Because when push comes to shove and you're in the trenches, what are you going through in your mind? The same thing that I went through in my mind. The same thing. And I told God this as he was teaching me and as I was battling every single day and as we, and I don't mean to say just I, as we were battling every single day to stand true to the word of God and not let fear ruin us. As we were fighting and we were battling, I'm writing things down that God is teaching me because I feel like the enemy was taunting me. I feel like the devil was coming against me and he was saying, you tell all these people all these things and you have for your entire life. Now what are you going to do about it? 
Are you going to abandon it or are you going to stand on it? What are you going to do? Are you going to bring it like you always tell people to bring it? I feel like he was taunting me. I don't do well with being taunted. I'm one of the most competitive people that you'll ever meet in your life. I don't like to lose. I tell people all the time, I don't lose. I never lose. That's not what I do. And so I made up my mind that I don't know how this is going to happen, but I'm not going to lose because we don't lose. Because our God won the ultimate victory, and he's on the inside of us. Amen? <laughs> Praise God. Praise God. And so this narrowed down for me to three things. Three things is what it, it narrowed down to as to how do we rise above when it comes to crisis mode. When crisis comes against us, you know, the scripture tells us in Ephesians to put on the full armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And I've said it before, and I know that many of you could repeat it back to me, but I want you to know it. You do not know when the day is going to turn evil, but whenever it does, you're going to be ready for it. I don't know when the day is evil. There's not an evil day on the calendar. There's not evil day supplies that you go and you buy so you can gear up for evil day. But when the evil day comes, I'm going to be ready for it. Why? Because every day I put on the full armor of God. I put on my righteousness and I walk in my righteousness. I put on the peace of God that goes beyond what I can understand. I put on truth. I put on my salvation every single day and I carry it with me. And then I walk out front with my faith every single day. I carry around the spirit and that's what I fight with. Amen? I put on the armor of God. And so when the evil day happens, it's okay because I'm ready for it. I'm prepared for it. I'm geared up and I'm not going to let it shake me. And so I believe three things. Number one, we have to live from the inside out. We have to live from the inside out. That means that our spirit that has been recreated in the image of God, that is hooked up with God 24-7, 365, has to be what leads us rather than our flesh and all of these external things that are coming against us. It cannot lead us. Our spirit has to lead us. I believe with everything that I have that the mechanism and how we live from the inside out is through our tongue. James says that our tongue is a fire, that it can be a world of iniquity. With it, we bless God, and with it, we curse men. Our tongue is caught in between this flesh and our spirit. How do we take control of it? James also tells us that no man can tame the tongue. There is no one that can take control of your tongue. But the scripture also tells us where things are impossible with men, they're possible with God. Amen? Because nothing is impossible with him. And so no, you cannot tame your tongue. But God can and so that's where we say, God, take my tongue. God, I give my tongue to you. And then he's given us a tool called the baptism with the Holy Spirit where we can pray from our inside out. 
The baptism with the Holy Spirit gets a really bad rap because people have done some really dumb stuff with it. I'm just going to be real. We've done some really crazy stuff. We've talked about some crazy things. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a tool that God has given you. And as we say, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit, give me the evidence of speaking with other tongues, then God gives it to us. And then as we give our tongue to him and we begin to speak, you're like, well, don't you speak some words that you don't really understand? Yes, I do. Yes, you do. So what does that mean? It means that God's playing, praying through me. It means that God is speaking his words out of me. It means that God is saying, I know that your mind's all jacked up, so let's just take that out of the equation and let me pray for you. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. When we don't know how to pray, when we can't pray, when we can't stand in faith, when we can't believe God. David said it this way, and then it was quoted by Peter in the book of Acts. He said, I sought the Lord, and he was ever before my eyes, and therefore I have hope. He said, and then my tongue gives thanks. My spirit is joyful, and my flesh will rest in hope. What's our responsibility in this situation? It's to rest. Our, situa- our, our responsibility in crisis mode is to rest. How does our flesh rest? You live from the inside out. You have to. You have to live from the inside out. I see so many people, and we're going to talk about this more in detail today. When crisis mode happens, they start running around like a chicken with their head cut off. No purpose, no direction, no focus. I don't know what to do. And you throw everything that you have learned out the window, and you throw up your hands, and you say, why won't God help me? Why won't God help me? Where's God right now? I believe that the enemy's purpose, according to Scripture, is to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Those aren't three independent things. Those are three things that are together. He has come to steal your joy from you, to make you worried, to make you walk in fear. He has come to kill your relationship with God, and he has come to ultimately destroy every single part of your life. How does he do that? How do you go from I love God so much, there's another in the fire standing next to me, right? How do you go from like, man, that was the best service that I've ever experienced in my life. I am on a spiritual high. How do you go from that to the lowest of the lows where you don't even know if God is real? It's not an overnight thing. It's a thing where the enemy has come in. He begins to steal. He begins to chip away. He begins to taunt you. Are you going to abandon? Are you going to let it go? He begins to, to, to bring adversity and crisis against you. And what are you going to do? And then he begins to cut off your relationship with God because I, I can't do this. I'm just going through a lot of stuff right now. I need to make sure I get my mind clear. I need to focus on my family right now. If you were focusing on your family, you would point your family to the one that's the answer because you don't have those answers. He does. And so he begins to chip away at you to see if you're going to abandon. We've got to live from the inside out. We've got to live from the inside out. And, And a vital part of that is controlling what we think. Number one, we've got to live from the inside out. Number two, when crisis mode hits you, you have 
got to take every thought and address it. Every single thought that comes to you, you have to address it. You can't let any thought go. You can't afford to let any thought go. You have to address those thoughts. In 2 Corinthians, let's go ahead and bring this up. We talked about this last week in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3. It says, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. We've got to address every single thought. Now in our journey, this is where we settled for a while, was addressing every thought. This is where we had to settle. As we're driving to Las Cruces, I'm thinking I have so much more to do and there's so much more to accomplish and thoughts of fear begin to creep in. Now I could sit and I could dwell on this fear or I could be active. How am I going to be active? I believe it's vitally important that we fill our minds and our spirits with the word of God all the time. And especially when crisis comes. We live in an age, I remember back in the day when I was a kid, and we would go to these conferences or, or after church on Sunday or whatever, and there would be these tape duplicators for days. Like you would look and there would be a table with like tape duplicators and they're all linked together. And in the early days of the church too, we used to get these catalogs where we could order those things, right? These big, they would duplicate like 20 tapes at a time and you pop them all in and you press start and it would be like and just like run it through. And duplicate these tapes. Because it was important to get the word of God in you. But in order to do that, you had to carry around like a, a, a little U-Haul trailer to have all your tapes in there. Right? Do you guys have those, those things in your car that you could put all your tapes in? And even at that, it was like this big. It could hold like 12. So then CDs came along and it was so much better. And uh, if, if you want to, uh, to have a little retro like throwback in your life, go and look in our storage room in the office because my dad has all like every tape that he's ever had and CDs and I tell you what, like there's a lot of stuff in there. And um, so still you could carry them with you. And my point is this, guys. Back then, it was a little difficult. Now, we live in the greatest age in the history of the world. Because if I want to listen to the word of God, what do I do? I open up podcast. And I have my AirPods that I have not ran over with the lawnmower. Some of y'all know I ran over one of my AirPods with the lawnmower. And the cheap thing didn't even hold up uh, it, when it ran over the lawnmower, got ran over with the lawnmower. It like busted into pieces and yeah. So anyway, 
So I just pull out this and I put them in my ears and I just, I go to town on the word of God because it's right here in front of us. All of our services are on podcast and when that finishes, because that's just a little bit of teaching, then jump on something else. Because you can be pumping in the word of God all the time, just right here. It doesn't even cost you anything. Isn't that amazing? So why are we not doing it? We should be doing that. When we come into crisis mode, we need to know, you know what? I need to be stepping up my game. I need to be stepping up. And not just then, but I want you to know, when you hit that, I need to be stepping up my game. I need to be controlling my thoughts. And so fear, as it begins to settle in, we can't allow it to take a hold in our life. We have to address every thought. First thing here, it says, for though we walk or we live in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. When I read that, and this scripture is one I told you last week that has revolutionized my thinking, but as I read this, this time, it says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. God said to me so clearly, he said, what in, in crisis or when in crisis, what are you praying for? When in crisis, what are you praying for? Because the scripture right here says, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. What are you praying for? Are we praying for God to heal us? I have to admit, and if you want me to be transparent, most of the time, that's what I'm praying for. If it's a health issue, I'm praying for God to heal us. But let me ask you this. Does it stand to reason that if Jesus hung on the cross and we believe that he took on his body our sickness, and then when he, right before he died, he said, it is finished. And if Jesus took on his body our sickness, then said, it is finished, and then he died, does it not stand to reason that Jesus put to death our sickness, and when he rose again, he rose again without it? And if that's the case, why am I praying for healing that's already provided for me in Christ? What am I praying for? I'm warring according to the flesh. Because I'm reacting to the thing that has happened to me. I'm warring according to the flesh. But he says, though we walk in the flesh, don't war according to the flesh. Because the weapons of our warfare are not temporary. So what am I praying for? I need to be praying. Absolutely. What do I need to be praying about? Keep myself in the mind of God. What do I need to be praying about? I need to be praying to keep myself in the right frame of mind. I need to be praying that the words of Christ rise up strong within me, right? I need to be praying to put the enemy in his place, to remind him of where he's at. You are defeated and you have no place in my life in the name of Jesus, the name which is above every name. What do I need to be praying about? I need to be praying to keep myself in the love of God. I need to be praying to keep myself in the faith of God. It says, for the weapons of our warfare, they're not temporary, but they are mighty or powerful. And that word means powerful and possible. It means powerful and possible. The weapons that I fight with, they're not temporary, but they were powerful and they are possible. To pull down strongholds, things that I have held on tightly to. 
What do I need to be praying about? That those strongholds are broken and I begin to realize what Jesus has done for me. That's what I need to be praying about. And then it says casting down or throwing down arguments. Throwing down arguments or violently removing all reasoning with your flesh or the things that are going on out here. And then it says every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God or anything that tries to bring itself against the report that you have received. Anything that's bringing itself against the report. What's our report? That's what the scripture says. What's our report? That's what God has said. Now there are a lot of reports, but this is the report. There's a lot of voices. There's a lot of things. And I'm not saying that those reports don't have truth to them. See, this is where we've gotten really screwy when we talk about some of the things of God and we talk about faith because I know people personally and I've experienced this in my life where if they were given that report from the doctor, then they would say that that report is not true. I don't believe that. I believe that that report was true. I just had another report as well. So I have conflicting reports, right? Which one am I going to put my trust in? Which one am I going to be putting my hope in? See, some people may have told you, well, well, this report is not true. You just need to ignore it and go on with God. No, 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 no. Because I don't know how. When we talked about this, we didn't know how healing was going to manifest itself. I didn't know. I didn't know how. I didn't know if it was going to be through a series of treatments because I believe that God moved on the hearts of men and women to create treatments to help us. I believe that healing, when Jesus said it is finished, he said it is finished, you're healed. He didn't say how you were healed. So I believe that God has moved in modern medicine to bring healing to us. And when Jesus said it is finished, he said it is finished. You don't have to worry about that anymore because a vaccine is going to be created to where you don't have to worry about that. You don't have to worry about that anymore because where people used to die of this, there's treatments now. I also believe that where man's report fails... God's report is perfect. And so there's some things that we just don't know because we haven't come into the fullness of what God has. And so sometimes it's a miracle of modern medicine. I mean, at one point, there wasn't even any Advil, right? Any Tylenol, any, some of the things that we just really take for granted now. And so I believe that there's miracles of modern medicine. I believe there's miracles that are supernatural, that there's just no way except for God. There's no way. So I didn't know how this was going to come. I didn't know what they were going to tell us. I didn't know if they were going to call us back after the PET scan and they were going to say, you need to go for these treatments. You need to go to these places. Here's what you're going to do. I just knew at the end of the day I had my report that those things were coming out of us and onto Jesus. And so that's where I had to place my trust. I didn't have control about the middle. I didn't have control about what the tests were going to say. I didn't have control about what the plan was going to be. But I had control over what I thought. I had control over how I reacted. And so what I did and what we did is we begin to take every thought and pull it into the submission of Christ. Violently reject all reasoning with the flesh. 
Guys, fear will always try to elevate itself above faith, always. Fear will always try to elevate itself. You can't let it. And then you need to bring every thought into captivity. Every thought must acknowledge that Christ obeyed. Where it says, bringing every thought to the obedience of Christ, Christ obeyed when he went to the cross. He didn't have to go to the cross. He obeyed. God said, go to the cross, and he could have said, no way. Forget about it. Those people are jerks to me. Right? Why would I want to die for them? He could have rejected it, but he didn't. He didn't. So because Christ obeyed, every thought must line up with the fact that Christ obeyed. So when a thought comes and it says, healing is not yours, I say, no, no, no. Healing is mine because Christ obeyed. Victory is mine because Christ obeyed. No, you say provision is not mine. I'm not going under. I'm an overcomer because Christ obeyed. Not because I obeyed. Because Christ obeyed. And he lives in me. It's no longer I who live. It's Christ in me. How do I punish all disobedience when my obedience is fulfilled? How do I punish all disobedience? See, any thought that comes that is against the knowledge of Christ, that is against the obedience of Christ, how do I begin to then turn it and I begin to be on the offensive? See, I couldn't come up here, and the reason why I waited a month to come up here and to preach this series of messages is because my obedience wasn't fulfilled. And as, as my dad and I were talking about this, he said, you need to share those things. And I said, I need a little bit of time. I need a little bit of time to process it. I need to make sure that I can communicate it effectively because my obedience wasn't fulfilled yet. I was totally reliant on Christ's obedience and I didn't even fully understand it. And I say that almost a little... Uh, almost with a little reservation because I don't want to seem arrogant like I fully understand. Oh, but it's been a month. You magically understand all that Christ has done. It's not the case. But I needed to make sure that, that my obedience was fulfilled before I could communicate it. And how am I punishing it? See, I'm ready to punish disobedience. This is the day I was waiting for because not only did Jesus punish the disobedience, and I was, uh, I was diligent. We were diligent about bringing that into the submission uh, of Christ because Christ obeyed. But I was waiting for this day because now I get to share it with you because there is nothing more than I love than seeing the enemy punished. Amen? And so my hope for you is that when you go through crisis mode, when crisis comes to your front door, that you handle it and you make the enemy feel it. That's what I want. I want you to make the enemy feel it. I want him to say, man, I'm not messing with those people anymore. It hurts when I mess with those people. And there are more people and more people and more people. Every time that I mess with them, not only do they overcome because of Christ in them, they go and tell more people how to overcome. Amen? Praise God. That's what I'm talking about. We're punishing some disobedience today. You're going to think twice about messing with us because we're overcomers in Christ. Guys, in order to overcome fear in your life, you have to be honest about the fear. 
So many times we try to put on our church clothes and we try to put on our church face and we try to put on our church talk and we try to, to, to put on our hallelujahs so we walk around like everything is just perfect in our life. You have to be honest about your fear in order to overcome it, but you must keep your circle small. You have to keep, not everybody needs to chime in on your problem, all right? Not everybody, and we were a little worried about this just because of the, the positions that we're in and because we're so out front in the community and, and all of these things, we were a little worried. We really felt like we needed to not tell a whole bunch of people about what was going on because we didn't need all these voices. And, and maybe you're saying, well, I would have supported you, Pastor Jason. You, you know that I would have been right there. No, I, it's not that I doubt that at all. And it's certainly not personal. But guys, we had to keep our circle small and I know that you supported us but you know what's cool about it because I know I could have called you I know I could have called any of you but what you did and you didn't even know is some of you were just sending a text out of the blue just a little encouragement you didn't know why God did and so when I received that you know what we did we trusted God and we all did it. And we allowed God to just work through us, just trusting. Why don't we trust God a little more? I don't have to know everything. We say this when we pray at the end of service. I don't have to know everything about your situation in order to help you. I just have to know that God is good. I don't need to try. See, when we know all the details, a lot of times we let this mind get in the way of stuff. And we start to try and share perspective and start to try and share what we've, what we've seen and what we know. And we have good intentions. Well, I, I, I don't doubt that at all. We have the best intentions. We just want to help each other. But why don't we just let God work through us? And isn't that a better help? Amen? Praise God. I believe it's a better help. And so you guys encouraged us so much just by being who you are just by being obedient to the things of God. Just by saying, God, you put this on my heart, I'm just going to text it. I don't know why, I'm just going to text it. So encouraging. So encouraging. We've got to take control of our mind and, and live from the inside out. So the third part and the final part of this message We talked last week about being tempted and how the word temptation, it means to go beyond what is reasonable to pierce your purpose through scrutinizing and bringing adversity. I believe that when temptation comes against us, it's not just about the act which we would label or call sin. I believe that temptation, the real root of temptation is for the enemy to get us off of our purpose. I would also submit to you this, that anything that is not aligned with your purpose is sin. Because anything that's not of faith is sin. And so the things that we would call like the sins where maybe you use language that you shouldn't use or Maybe we treat people like we shouldn't treat them or whatever we would label as sin. What are those things doing? 
We said last week, maybe you walk out of here and you're all pumped up about God and then you get into your car and you pull out and somebody pulls out in front of you and you slam on your brakes and you honk and you roll down your window and you tell them where they should put things and um, then you show them which position they hold with you by showing them the finger um, and all of the, right? So then that same person goes to the same restaurant with you. Have you ever had that happen? You're like, oh, uh, yeah, hey, what's up? Let me ask you this. What if you had the opportunity to share the love of Jesus with that person? Do you think that they would receive it? I think that it's pretty clear in the scripture that we all have a purpose of sharing the love of Jesus with those around us. And if we do anything to put that in jeopardy, is that sin? So I think we would all admit that if we're screaming profanities out the window at someone and shaking a finger at them, and I think we would all admit that that's sin. That's falling short of God's standard, right? But what if you wake up one morning and you're in the drive-thru of Starbucks and the Spirit of God moves on you, or maybe you just, you don't even know necessarily that it's God, but you just think, hey, I should pay for that person's drink, and then you don't do it. Is that sin? I'm not trying to be nitpicky here, and you know that I don't preach about sin. I think there's too many positive things to preach about. We don't need to preach about the negative. If Christ is revealed in you, then you're not going to sin. And that's the way that I believe. But just in perspective, so let me ask you this. When you're going through crisis, and you abandon your purpose, is that sin? I believe that it is. If we're getting nitpicky here, that very first Wednesday night after we had heard the news of what was going on in Tiffany's body and that they believed it to be cancer and were so up in the air and all of these things, I had meetings that day for the city. I canceled all my meetings. I'm just like, no way. But then it came time for church. And I tell you what, I did not want to go to church. I did not want to do youth that night. We were, we were just doing a, a volleyball night, a hangout night anyway, with a little message. And uh, I really thought about just calling Hayden and saying, hey, we're not going to be there tonight. Um, can you handle volleyball? And you know what she would have said? Sure, no problem. I handle volleyball. I understand. You guys take care of you. And then I thought about calling my dad and saying, hey, because he had already told me, let me know if I need to do anything for you tonight. He was willing to do whatever he needed to do. I guarantee you, I could have just texted him and said, hey, I think we're just going to hang out tonight. Uh, we're going to focus on us. But if I did that, was I abandoning purpose? And if I abandoned purpose... Am I getting my eyes focused on the problem and not the vision? Am I allowing the enemy to win? Would there have been anything wrong with me staying at home? On the outside, no, not at all. And everybody would have understood. But I'm letting the enemy have a foothold. And I'm not going to let the enemy have a foothold. So we sucked it up and we went. 
And we played, was it volleyball or kickball that night? I don't know. Anyway, it doesn't matter. We played one of them. We had fun. It was kickball. We had fun. It was a good night. We went home. We cried some more. Sat out on the back porch. Talked. Anything that you're falling short of your purpose, anything that you're not focusing on your purpose is allowing the enemy to have a foothold within you. And then the scripture tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, no temptation has overtaken you except such as common to man, but God is faithful who would not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. I Check, check. I said last week that God never said that he would not put you through more than you are able. And that's what is common when we talk about that scripture is people say, well, you know, there we go. Well, you know that God, this has reverb on it. Can you do something about that? He said, well, you know that God won't put you through more than you're, than you're able to handle. That's not what the scripture says. The scripture says God will not allow you to be tempted more than you can handle. But he says he has made a way of escape. He has given you the answer so that you can bear it. God will not allow you to be tempted to be drawn away from your purpose more than you can handle, but he has made a way where you can stay focused, and that's by living from the inside out. Amen? And so that was very important to us in battling these thoughts. I think we've got to keep vision in front of us. And maybe you'll say, well, Pastor Jason, I don't really have a vision. I just wake up. I just take it day by day. Get a vision. God has one for you. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know the thoughts that I have for you, says the Lord. It's thought to prosper you and not to harm you. It's thoughts to give you an expected end, to give you a purpose, to give you a hope, to give you a future. God has a purpose for you. And so you need to tap in to that purpose. And here's what I begin to think about the difference between vision and goals. Because I don't believe vision and goals are the same thing. When we think about vision, vision is something that's before us something that we want to accomplish, something somewhere that we want to go, something that we want to do that's far bigger than us. I believe a series of goals gets you to a fulfilled vision. And it may be a little bit nitpicky in the word there. But I think sometimes, you know, we have a goal and maybe the goal is I'm going to lose 10 pounds or maybe the goal is I'm going to be nice to somebody today or maybe the goal is I'm going to accomplish these things on my to-do list today. That's not a vision. A vision is far bigger than that. A series of goals gets you to your vision. So maybe your vision is that I want to be able to reach these people. How do I reach those people? How do I accomplish this that's far bigger than me? Well, maybe the first thing I need to do is I'm not healthy because 
I don't take care of my body. And so maybe a goal, because I know that I need to be healthy in order to reach my vision, so maybe my goal is to get in shape in order to reach my vision. Maybe my goal is I've got to be diligent about being in the Word of God. That's a goal so I can accomplish my vision. And so I think it's extremely important when crisis comes that you focus on your vision. Habakkuk 2.2, it says, write the vision. Make it plain upon tablets that those that read it may run with it. It says the vision is for an appointed time. I want you to say appointed time. Say it again, appointed time. The vision is for an appointed time. The vision might not be for right now. The vision is for an appointed time. It says, but at the end, it will speak. One thing that's important here is not everybody needs to know your vision. We talked about keeping your circle small. Not everybody needs to know your vision either. Because there will be a lot of dream thieves that come in and try to squash your vision. You can't do this. You can't do that. You don't need to hear those voices. They do nothing productive in your life. You don't need to share your vision with everybody. But you need to have it. And you need to have it written down so that you can run with it. How do you develop a vision? And I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this today because i got to get moving. But I believe this. How do you develop your vision? Whatever you're passionate about, what are you good at? Maybe you don't know all the details of your vision. That's okay. It can be a work in progress. I have so many things written down that are ahead of me, that are in front of me. So many things. And I develop them. And as they go, I look back and God begins to refine it a little bit as he is revealed in me more. Maybe it's naive at the beginning. That's okay. What are you passionate about? What breaks you when you see it? I, I think about Albert, and Albert's not here today. Um, but I think about Albert. He had a vision to go to Guatemala for probably seven or eight years. Ever since we started going to Guatemala. But before we started going to Guatemala, we went to the Philippines, and, and um, we, we did work in other places. We did a lot of work in Mexico, and um, none of those things struck a chord with him. And he would tell you this if he was here today. None of those things, I mean, yeah, sure, and he did what he could to support them and those kind of things. But when we started talking about Guatemala, it broke him, and it became a vision that I've got to do stuff in Guatemala. Why? I don't know. I don't know. That was him. That was, that was what God had placed on his heart. And it became a vision. It became a passion. It became a, a, a desire that was in front of him that he knew that God had called him to do. See, God will place a vision inside of you. You need to start writing things down. And when you get in crisis mode, you have to focus on the vision. How did I know, whenever things got real hard, how did I know that God was going to come through? I knew that God was going to come through because he gave me a vision, and I'm not done with it. And it involves her. And if we're supposed to accomplish this vision, either God got it wrong or he's going to come through. Either way, that's on him. It's not on me. We talked about the things that we could control. 
I can't control that. I can control where my mind goes. But I didn't ask for the vision that God gave me. He gave it to me. I didn't ask for this plan. He gave it to me. And if he gave it to me, then he is faithful to complete it, to walk it out. The scripture tells us in Philippians chapter something, 1 verse 6, that I'm confident in this thing, that he who began a good work in me is faithful to complete it. And so it was like day seven or day eight or something like that. As I'm beginning to get fearful, God led me to this verse. He who began a good work in me is faithful to complete it. He said, if I began that work, I'm going to finish that work because I don't leave things unfinished. And in order for that to happen, that means that he's going to have to perform a miracle. Again, that's on him. That's not what I can control. I can't convince God to perform a miracle. I don't have to. I don't have to. Because it's mine. Amen? Praise God. We've got to keep that vision in front of us. If you're confident that God gave you this vision, it'll keep you going in crisis mode. So look at this. Let's go to Luke chapter 8, verse 22. I'm going to have it up on the screen. And this is my last point of the day, but it's a doozy. Doozy? A, I don't know. I don't know what I just said. Luke chapter 8, verse 22, it says, Now it happened on a certain day that he got in the boat with his disciples, and he said to them, Let's cross over to the other side of the lake. And as they launched out, and they launched out, but as they sailed, he fell asleep. And a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water, and they were in jeopardy. And they came to him and awoke him, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. And then he arose, and he rebuked the wind and the raging of the water, and they ceased, and there was a calm. But he said to them, Where's your faith? And they were afraid, and they marveled, saying to one another, Who can this be? For he commands even the wind and the water. And they obey him. Important things in this passage. First of all, it says it happened and it was on a certain day. It wasn't just a random day. It was a certain day. And the reason why that's important is because if we remember in the book of Habakkuk, he said the vision is for an appointed time. So say it again, an appointed time. The vision is for an appointed time. There was a vision to go to the other side of the lake, but that vision was for an appointed time. It was on a certain day. Some of us get caught up in the middle and wonder what's going on. We get caught unprepared because we try to cross when we're not ready because it's not a certain day. It's a random day. It's not a certain time. It's not a God-appointed time. So when we're talking about vision, I want you to understand that your vision is for a certain day. Until then, it's goals to get you ready for the vision. You need to always be moving forward towards the vision, but God may have called you to go. I, I've seen people before that, oh, God called me to the ministry, so I have to go into the ministry. Well, you're not ready for the ministry. You're not ready to go, but that's okay. It's not an indictment on you. Why don't you just slow your roll a little bit? Why don't you go ahead and accomplish a couple goals and prepare yourself? And if you can get through the goals, then you begin to see the vision because the vision is accomplished in the goals. 
So here it says on a certain day, he got in the boat with his disciples. He got in the boat with his disciples. You see that? God's called you to a vision not by yourself. He gets in the boat with you, and then you go. He said, the report, let's cross over to the other side of the lake. And they launched out. It says, but as they sailed, he fell asleep. Why not? He already said where we're going. He was tired. Let's go to sleep. It's going to happen. I know that. So let's go to sleep. He fell asleep because he wasn't worried about it. It says, then the windstorm, it came down onto the lake. Now, without going way into this, because of the geography of the Sea of Galilee, it was prone to storms happening very fast. I would say this, because the geography of your vision, because of the details of your vision, because of the circumstances of your life and this fallen world that we live in, we are prone to storms happening fast. And so as they're sailing in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, this storm came up real fast. They weren't prepared for it. But the report was already given. It says... The windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water. doesn't say they were full of water. They were filling with water. It says they were in jeopardy. It doesn't say they were going to die. It said they were in danger. But look at how they reacted. They woke Jesus up, and they said, Master, Master, we are perishing. Master, Master, we are perishing. How often do we overreact when trouble comes? How often do we over, Master, Master, we're perishing. We are currently in the act of dying right now. Fear will always rise above faith, always try to rise above faith, right? Fear will always cause you to overreact. Fear will always dictate your actions in an adverse way. Master, master, we are perishing. It says, but then he arose and rebuked. Jesus arose and rebuked. He forced the crisis to acknowledge his authority. Jesus rose up. I think it's really important that it says he arose and rebuked. Jesus didn't take it sitting down. He didn't take it lying down. They woke him up. There's a crisis. He stood up, and he made that crisis look him right in the eye, and he said, here's what you're going to do. You're going to obey my authority. We need to not take a crisis lying down. We need to not take a crisis passively. When we talk to one another right after, we get in the truck and, and we're talking, and I said, this is extremely important. I, I believe that this is important for us. We cannot hold things in. We can't let any thoughts go without us discussing them. I don't care what those thoughts are. I want you to know, because one thing, and, and if I'm being real, and I think that probably some of you fit in this category as well. In our relationship, communication is rough sometimes because we hold things in. Sometimes you don't want to say things. Sometimes you don't want to say things because you don't want to hurt the other person. Sometimes you don't want to say, and I'm not saying we just say whatever comes to our mind so that we do hurt the other person. But what I'm saying is sometimes we hold things in to our detriment. 
And I knew that if we did that, we were going to be destroyed. And so we had to have communication. We had to talk about our fears. We had to talk about our triumphs. We couldn't allow each other to be in fear. Can't allow it. And so Jesus rose up and he rebuked the wind and the raging water. It says they ceased and there was a calm. And then Jesus said to them, where is your faith? Where is your faith? So I want you to ask yourself today, when crisis comes, where is your faith? Is your faith in the finished work of Jesus? Where is your faith? Where does your expectation lie? Where does your expectation fall? That this is going to be like everything else. It's just one blow after another to me and my family. Or is it that Christ has empowered me to overcome? And I don't know how I'm going to overcome, but I'm going to be honest about it. I'm scared to death. But I'm not willing to stay scared. I'm going to rise above it. The disciples did a very important thing here because their obedience was not fulfilled. So they went and woke up the master. The first thing that they did was went and woke up the master. I want you to notice what did not happen here. Jesus didn't wake up and say, you guys are idiots for waking me up. You had all the power in you, and you didn't do it. What did he say? He woke up, he took care of the problem, and he said, now let's work on your faith. Guys, we had a miracle happen in our life. But as Tiffany and I have discussed, and I've taught for years, I don't believe God's best for us is living from miracle to miracle to miracle. The children of Israel walked in the desert, and they were fed every morning by a miracle for 40 years. Every morning, it was manna from heaven. It was a miracle every day for 40 years because that's what they needed. But God's best for them was the promised land where they didn't need the miracle. I believe that God's best for us is where we don't need the miracle. Now, why did we get to the point where we needed a miracle? I don't know the answer to that. Why do you get to the point where you need a miracle? I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. Why does it happen that some people receive a miracle and some people don't? I want to tell you this. I tried. I, I studied over this last month. I've studied a lot trying to find a definitive answer in Scripture as to why some people receive a miracle and some people do not. And I have a lot of thoughts, but I don't have any definitive answers. And I wish that I did, and I'm just being honest with you. I wish that I could tell you definitively what I know is this. God is good. What I know is this. I know that I need to focus on the things that I can control. What can I control? I can control what I say. I can control what I dwell on. I can control what I think. I can control my reaction. I can control my vision. I can put my trust in the finished work of Jesus. And I know that the finished work of Jesus is there for me. Now, if I were to break down every situation and 
And you would say, well, there's this person or there's that person. And everything appeared on the surface. I, I don't know. I'm not going to speculate. I can't do that. But what I can do is I can teach you to go through crisis and to hold your head up and to stay strong in your faith and to know that God has provided a way, an answer, a hope. What did Jesus do when they ran to him and they said, we can't do this, we need help? He performed the miracle. And then he said, where is your faith? Let's address the faith issue. Let's talk about this. And then he began to teach them. And as you go on through the scripture, this is in Luke chapter 8. It's also written in Mark chapter 4. Another account of the same story. If you look in Mark chapter 4, you go on and Jesus is performing miracles. And then Mark chapter 11, they're walking just another day. And he begins to teach them deeper about faith. We don't have time to go way into faith. And I think that will probably come pretty soon. Where we talk about strengthen your faith. We've got to trust God. To kind of close this out and to wrap up these thoughts, I know that crisis comes. And crisis comes on many different levels. And my, my goal, my objective was to be as open and transparent as I could because we have this stigma, this thought that if we doubt or if we're in fear or, or any of these things that, that we're somehow less in our faith or we're letting God down or maybe we're not where we should be. Well, maybe that's true. Maybe we're not where we should be. But as long as we're growing, we're all growing to be more like Jesus. I don't think any of us are there yet. And as long as we're not there, we still have more to go. And if we have more to go, then at some point we've got to learn. At some point we've got to admit that we're not there. At some point we've got to take a step forward. But the, the great thing is that God gave us a way of escape even in the growing process. For these disciples... They shouldn't have been scared of that storm that came. But they went and they woke Jesus up and he performed a miracle. And then he said, where is your faith? Because next time we don't need a miracle. Because I've got a promised land for you. Tiffany and I have talked about this a lot. We don't believe that we went through this so that we could teach you. Don't believe that for a second. I believe that the enemy tried to come and take us out. But I believe through that, God taught us. And through his teaching, that we can then pass on to you as best we can and to others. We've got, we've got stuff coming. We've been talking about how the vision 
has begun to change. You know what's funny is that there's been a vision there for a long time. I talked about the vision being refined. Some of these things kind of fill in some of those blank spaces that we've had in our, in our vision. Don't go through crisis alone. I want you to reach out. You don't have to reach out to me, and I'm not going to be offended if you didn't. But I want you to reach out to someone that's going to lead you in the right direction that's, that you can trust. I want you to do what you need to do. There are so many people that come to me, and we counsel with them, and we talk about their crisis, and then they don't do what they need to do. And then they wonder why it didn't get any better. It's because you didn't do what you needed to do. It's because you weren't diligent. There was one person that was going through a crisis recently. And I said, you need to listen to the word of God. You need to keep it just like I told you this morning. You need to listen to the word of God. And so in a couple days, I said, hey, did you find you some podcasts to listen to? And they said, no, I haven't. And I said, well, I'm going to send you one then. And so I sent them one, and then I said, did you listen to that podcast? And they said, no, my headphones broke. And so in about 10 minutes, I drove to where they were, and I said, here's some headphones. Listen to the podcast. And so they listened to it, and they texted me afterwards, and they said, I don't know why I didn't do that sooner. I said, I know. I don't know why you didn't either. Excuse, excuse, excuse. Was it that hard? You're doing work anyway. Just throw a headphone in and listen to it. Are we willing to do what it takes to get back on track, to keep our mind where it needs to be? Guys, we are here for you. Guys, we love you. God loves you. And he has made a way for you to rise above. So rise above. Amen? Praise God. Praise God. I hope that you got something out of that over the last three weeks. I, I believe that you did. I believe that these are important words, not mine, but what God has taught us. Amen? Praise God. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your goodness and your love. God, I thank you you've chosen us. God, I thank you that you've made a way for us. I thank you that you are perfecting us. We give you all the praise in Jesus' name. With everybody's head bowed and eyes closed today, this is just out of respect for those around us. Do you know God can hear you with your eyes open? And your head up. If you're here today and you've never received Jesus into your life, I want to invite you to do that. You know, the scripture tells us that today is the day of salvation. Jesus Christ loved you so much that he died for you. He gave his life for you. He died in your place. So that you didn't have to. And so, today, if you'd like to receive him into your life, it's easy to do. The Bible says that if we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus, if we 
believe in our heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, we'll be saved. So all you got to do is say, Jesus, I believe you're the Lord of my life. And then if you believe in your heart that it's true that God raised Jesus from the dead, then that gift is yours. So I'm going to lead you in a prayer today. I'm going to lead everybody in here and watching online in that same prayer. And I'd like to invite you that even if you're a Christian, to say it with us as a show of support to those who maybe haven't because I believe that we're all family and no one needs to pray alone. So if that's you, just say this prayer after me and with us. Say, Jesus, I believe you're God's son. I believe that you died for me and I believe you rose again. And I ask you to come into my life to help me and to change me. And I give my life to you. In Jesus' name, amen. If you said that for the very first time, the Bible says you're a child of God. You meant it in your heart. There's a couple things that I'd like you to do for me. On that card that's in the seat in front of you, there's a checkbox on there that said, Today I chose Jesus. If you would just check that, maybe put your name and just leave it. You don't even have to put your name if you don't want to. And I would appreciate it just because we want to know. We want to rejoice with you. And then the second thing that I want to ask you to do today is if you said this for the first time, whether you're watching online or you're in here with us, on our website, WOL Carlsbad, there's a, a little short video, and then there's a book you can download called I Choose Jesus. It's just going to help you on your walk with God. So if you'll just go to that, check it out. I believe it's going to help you. If you're watching online, drop us a line. Say that I chose Jesus. Second thing today, and the last thing that I'm going to do, is if you're struggling in life, let's be honest about it. We all have struggles sometimes. There's nothing to be ashamed of. Just the way it is. The real shame is if we struggle alone and we let it get the best of us. We don't ask for help. So no matter how big or how small, if you're struggling with anything in life today, I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm not going to ask you to, to tell us about it. I'm not nosy. We don't need to know your business. But we just want to join with you in prayer. So if you're struggling, hurting, broken, sick, relationship issues, financial issues, whatever it may be, all I'm going to ask you to do is just lift your hand where we can see who you are. Nobody's going to ask you any questions. If you're struggling at all, lift your hand. Father God, in the name of Jesus, we pray for these that have lifted their hands today. God, we don't know what's going on in their life, but you know, and we don't need to know in order to encourage and to lift up and to strengthen. And so today, we hold up our brothers and our sisters. We hold up our family today, whether they're watching online or they're in here. We hold them up today, knowing that you are working to perform your word in their life, that the answers are theirs and they've been provided in Christ. We give you honor. We give you thanks. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. If you raised your hand today and it's something you need support on, I encourage you to get a little circle. Some people that can help you out, we're not going to come and ask you. But what you can do, church family, is if 
they had if someone had raised their hand, you can send a message and you can say, hey, I'm praying for you today. I want you to lift them up again. Hold them up again. I want you to caution yourself because we're not nosy. We don't need to ask them any questions, all right? If they want to talk to you, they will. That's not personal. It's just reality, okay? Let's not take it personally. Let's just hold up our brothers and sisters. Amen? Praise God. Praise God. How many believe that we serve a good God? Anybody? Amen. Praise God. Next week starts back to church month. Make sure that you're here. Pastor Daniel will be back in the house. I'm going to be coming in after our Rock Hog Fest with the Word of God for about 45 minutes, and I'm pretty pumped about that. So come uh, next week. I don't know who was supposed to close that. It might be me, but I think we're just, we're good? All right. I'll see you uh, next Sunday, okay? Thank you once again for joining us today online. We value you and we wanna hear from you. If you made a decision for Christ today, you can select I Choose Jesus on our website and we've got a couple videos for you to watch so that you can get started on your walk with God. We've also got a free ebook that you can download right from our website called I Choose Jesus and I wanna encourage you to do that. Once again, thank you for joining us and remember that God is madly in love with you.